platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Hello, welcome to a special edition of BizTalk IconTalk. The global economy faces challenges in 2023. Many major economies could see sustained higher inflation. Even with a cooling U.S. economy, inflation will likely remain elevated. Energy discussions in Europe will also make it a challenge for the European Central Bank to tame higher prices. China, on the other hand, offers a relatively bright spot. Its economic outlook quickly got a boost after relaxation of COVID control policies. Many investment banks, including Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, now forecast growth in 2023 would top 5%, some even expecting a reopening boom circle. So how will the Chinese economy fare in 2023? To talk about these issues, we are joined by Dennis Dapool, Global Managing Director of Roland Berger. Mr. Dapool, welcome to the show. Global banks quickly revised up China's economic growth forecast of 2023 to between 5 to 6 percent. And uh, that's after China eased its uh, COVID restrictions and open border. What's your prediction of China GDP growth for 2023? Thank you for that question. That's a difficult one and I don't have a crystal ball. There's, there's indeed quite an array uh, of forecasts uh, for 23 or even for 24. I think for 24, I've seen figures up to uh, 11 or 12 persons in uh, some of the forecasts uh, forecasting a rebound. There is a consensus, the rebound. And indeed, I think the COVID wave uh, in China uh, is strong, but it's also quite fast. And uh, we can imagine that let's say uh, by the end of February, uh, uh, most of the countries will have been through this uh, at least first wave uh, and therefore recovery uh, is uh, down the road. So consensus on rebound, consensus on a pretty strong recovery, uh, uh, both on the manufacturing and production side with everything going back to normal uh, uh, and also on the consumption side. Uh, uh, So that I think uh, uh, there's no um, there's no doubt about that. Right. What about the supply chain? Um, what role do you think China plays in the global supply chain, and how will China's opening, reopening up, influence the supply chain? Well, I mean, China was, is, and will remain the factory of the world. So, so what we've seen through these last few years. Uh, is pretty extraordinary resilience of the Chinese supply chain. If you, if you think about it, I mean, it's not only about COVID. It started uh, with the trade war with the U.S., the imposition of tariffs, and through this whole process since 2018, the, the Chinese supply chain has been resisting very, very well. Actually, if you look at the, the second half of 2020 or the full year 21, uh, the Chinese supply chain has helped absorb the, the surge in demand post-COVID in Europe, post-COVID in the US uh, by exporting more. Do you think after China's reopening, China's consumption will automatically come back or would there be some measures needed, Dennis? I don't think it's only about stimulus. It's also about confidence in the future. Consumption requires uh, confidence in the future Re- requires disposable income that is used to consume as opposed to uh, saving. And, and that requires, uh, uh, I think, not only stimulus, but also uh, structural reform. So, so the question is, how do you unleash this, this consumption? 
And by the way, this is not a new topic for China. So, so it's particularly important probably this year, next year, uh, to uh, restart uh, uh, the machine very, very strongly. But the, that that issue was already there before. So, I think there are there are there are two responses. One is common prosperity. I think a, a lot of people comment about common, common prosperity, uh, 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 saying, okay, it's, it's about making the wealthier a bit less wealthy and redistributing. Well, there might be an element of this, but it's not material, at least so far. Uh, it's, it's more about increasing the middle class by its bottom, actually. So not by the top, but by, by its bottom. And there's a lot of potential, obviously. Yeah. And I think we, we're seeing some efforts, we're seeing some pilots, I think in, 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 in Georgian province, uh, some pilots to, to try to turn the, the periphery of cities into, into uh, actually uh, suburbs and to, to lift up, the, uh, to lift up the, uh, the, uh, the income and therefore the disposable income. Mm -hmm. That has an effect on consumption. It's not coming overnight. Is structural reform. Another example is the pension system. I think uh, in November or late November has been announced the uh, the launch of the private pension system. That's an opportunity to uh, funnel the savings in in, in a way uh, that makes sense for the economy. So so how do you unleash consumption? Well, you unleash consumption by making people trust in the future and make their disposable income available uh, for consumption. And 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 therefore, I think it's 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 not only about a kicker, which is, which cannot harm, but it's also about that that structural reform. The the challenges for twenty twenty three include the pandemic wave, because according to international experience, the large number of infections uh, could probably come back every six months. It happens in many uh, economies, uh, many countries around the world. Uh, similar situation in in Japan, in Europe, in America. So this would relate to your uh, previously mentioned anxiety in the consumption group. So how would you think this could play in the consumption market in China? Absolutely. I would believe that people will get used to it. Uh, as, as, as Europeans, Americans, everywhere in the world, Southeast Asia, been traveling a lot after after spending quite some time in China, uh, obviously in the last three years. And my observation is that it's not that people forgot about COVID. I think it's there. Some people wear masks, some people don't. But generally speaking, uh, I think the uh, the influence of uh, wave after wave is quite limited on the economy. People have simply integrated this. So in a, in a way, it's already in the figures. Uh, if I if I would put it in a very analytical way, uh, it's already in the figures. So indeed, people get sick, people disappear for a few days sometimes uh, uh, because of the uh, because of, uh, of an infection, uh, but they then reappear and, and, and everything is uh, hopefully uh, fine. So I, I would not expect uh, something very different in China. And as, as we have seen a, a very accelerated wave uh, uh, lately, I would say that also the way the future COVID waves in China influence the economy and influence consumption will also learn uh, from what has happened in the rest of the world and, and therefore has have limited impact. So I would definitely not say that this has no impact and prevention still needs to remain and and, and, and maybe in some cases uh, also uh, harsher measures as we have seen in Europe, as we have seen in America uh, from time to time. Uh, but but uh, on, on the impact, I would say limited. Right, so people will get used to it. That's the experience, the major experience. Great, Dennis, let me continue to ask you this. Foreign direct investment into China grew by 9.9%, roughly 10% in 
in year 2022. So it means that China keeps attracting foreign investment. Why has China been attractive to foreign direct investment even during the most difficult time in 2022? China is, as I said before, a very attractive supply base. Uh, it's attractive uh, by its size, its depth, its, its industrial cluster. So it's not only having one supplier, it's a string of suppliers. It's well established. It can absorb uh, uh, swings in volatility. And that's true uh, in, in manufacturing, but that's true also in heavy industry, in production, so uh, in, in process industries, let's say glass, chemicals, uh, 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 sort of base chemical, but also fine chemicals, etc. So this is still very attractive. What you see in 22 in terms of foreign direct investment is also the result of decisions that were made in 2020 and 2021. Uh, yeah. and, and as, as I said before, uh, uh, China absorbed uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, demand that could not be met by uh, COVID crippled uh, uh, manufacturing bases in the US or, or in Europe in, 20, in late 2020 or, or during most of the course of uh, 2021. So these decisions were made at this point. And I yeah. think in the, if you take the chemical industry, uh, uh, this has played very nicely because there's, there was a lot of demand and there's still a lot of demand domestically here in China, but also uh, the, the chemical supply base in China serves the rest of the world and particularly serves Europe these days uh, when energy prices make it a lot more attractive to produce uh, uh, some of the energy intensive uh, 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 chemicals. Uh, elsewhere than in Europe. So we've seen uh, ammonia export of China uh, surge. We've seen glass exports of China uh, uh, surge as well, just to take two, uh, let's say, basic product, but, but, but also uh, much needed elsewhere in the world. And, and so that's why uh, investment is attractive. Now, let's also face it, we might see a, <laughs> we might see a bit of a, a, a glitch going forward because I doubt that there's much uh, investment decisions by foreign companies in China made in 2022 in the midst of uh, uh, the uncertainty that was uh, uh, reigning uh, during the year. And that's a normal thing. So foreign direct investment is, is uh, up, and, up and down. One last point. If you look at the, the, the structure of this uh, foreign investment in China, and that's not new, that's already for the last uh, four or five years, it's very concentrated. So it's concentrated uh, on very large companies, so the, 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 the automotive giants, the chemical giants, uh, the, process, uh, the uh, uh, electrical uh, 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 appliances uh, giants. So that's, that's the first, uh, uh, first uh, observation. And, and, and these companies uh, have very broad reasoning around their footprint and their supply chain. So point one. And point two, it's also quite concentrated in terms of the countries of origin. So it's a lot of it's a lot of Korea and then it's a lot of uh, 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 European uh, uh, companies. So it's Korea, Japan, uh, then uh, Germany, uh, uh, UK. Uh, so it, it's quite concentrated uh, uh, and, and, and therefore, I mean, there's, there's a lot of trust. It's, it's the large companies of these countries basically investing in China uh, to improve their footprint and also to play a regional play. You know? so, so also integrating the, the supply chain uh, in uh, Asia to serve China, but to also serve uh, the rest of Asia. Thank you for your insights into this. You mentioned that uh, these important investment decisions are made normally uh, one or two years prior to the actual investments, and uh, it's always up and down. And 
uh, all these uh, concentrated large international multinational companies have broad visions in investing in China from East Asia, from Europe and uh, North America. So, but there are always talks in Western media about decoupling from China. Do you think any of these major investors or multinational companies would do such a thing, decoupling from China? Well, I don't think that there is such a thing like massive decoupling uh, of China, just, just for all the reasons we, the three of us, stated before uh, about the resilience and the, the quality of the Chinese supply chain. But there is diversification. There is also fundamental uh, uh, changes. I was in Vietnam in, uh, in, in December. It's, it's quite interesting. Vietnam is welcoming those investments, but they also see the risk that they turn into a very low-cost supply base and they cannot modernize their industry and their production facilities. So there, are, there, there is concerns uh, uh, in, in the Vietnamese government uh, that <laughs> this shift from China is a good and also a, a bad thing in the same time. Uh, on the Chinese side, uh, there's a huge modernization drive. I think one of the things that uh, most people do, have not seen is that there's a lot of fixed asset investment. I think it's 40% of the fixed asset investment uh, in China in 2021 that went to production and manufacturing. Mm. And out of this, more than one third is dedicated to modernization. So it's robots, it's automation, digitization. That's double the size of the modernization investment the years before. And so that's part of the plan. That's that's one of the mottos of the 14th five-year plan. So you can expect that uh, companies follow, both state-owned and also the private companies. But but that's that's also a lot of additional productivity in the Chinese system. So I, I would say, yeah, there is a certain level of uh, decoupling or diversification happening. Part of it is, is just the, uh, the normal course of seeing and specialization across countries. Part of it is regional integration, by the way, driven by Chinese companies themselves that offshore uh, some of their production to Southeast Asia to simply benefit from cost advantages, uh, or also sometimes to go around some of the restrictions, and that's uh, expected. Uh, uh, and, and then there, there are some industries where China obviously has leapfrogged other players, uh, and therefore that will drive also uh, quite a lot of investment uh, for the benefits of the rest of the world. Dennis, because you have a very uh, close contact with uh, foreign companies, what do you think are the most needed measures that foreign companies would like to have from the Chinese government in issuing uh, policies? There is a short-term effort to restore confidence because let's let's face it, in 22 has not been easy uh, for anybody. Uh, that includes domestic companies, but also foreign companies. And I think that has started with the, the 20th uh, uh, Party Congress. Uh, but there's, there's a lot more effort at central, but also provincial and municipal level uh, to uh, restore uh, that, that confidence. Generally speaking, a lot has been done in the last few years in terms of removing equity caps, uh, uh, shortening the negative list. So, so basically uh, activating very concrete levers to, to open a number of markets in financial services, in energy, uh, also uh, further opening uh, in the uh, automotive sector, which is which is obviously uh, so so important. Uh, uh, so I think th there are still a, a number of restrictions. Uh, so I think the expectation also in the medium term is that further restrictions are levied and, and, and that market mechanisms as much as possible 
maybe not in some strategic, uh, uh, let's say, uh, sectors of the economy, but for most things, market mechanisms are the prevailing uh, signal, are the prevailing uh, driver for making business uh, uh, in China. One important factor, I think, uh, is uh, also the role of state-owned enterprises. I think this is also quite often misunderstood uh, uh, from, from outside of China. Uh, the, the, the level of corporate and social responsibility, as we would call it, uh, from the West, uh, mm -hmm. uh, that is embraced uh, yeah. by these state-owned enterprises is 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 underestimated uh, but yet i think this uh, should should be quite separated from market mechanism so i think uh, uh, the roadmap is is quite clear and the fact that china is also modernizing and turning to more added value products will will also is also a very strong signal for uh, foreign investors and foreign companies that are bringing also these technologies that will make China successful. Think of the Siemens, the uh, Dassault system of this world, uh, selling uh, machine tools or, or, or selling uh, automation systems, as an example. Great. What do you think China's uh, reopening of its border will attract foreign, let's say, global industrial capital and global financial capital back to China? I would name a few things. First of all, I've been driven by the, uh, the, the fundamental priorities of the country. I see, uh, like Daryl, uh, everything related to uh, decarbonization and the, great, and the green economy as one uh, driver for, for investment and also something where <clears throat> maybe uh, I see it from a European perspective but because I'm European. Uh, Europe, uh, a number of European companies have, have quite some advanced technologies or know-how to bring. It's not only about technology, it's, it's also about process. I think it's, when, when it comes to decarbonization, uh, technology might have been there for a while. So it, it, it's more about the way you employ technology. So that's one. Totally fit with, with the 14 five-year plan and the priority of, the, of, of, yeah. of China. Uh, the second one is everything staple basically. So, so uh, all the all the uh, the, uh, the basic consumption uh, consumption needs uh, as part of the the recovery. And and of course that's maybe a, a more difficult area for foreign companies. But I mean you have the L'Oréal of this world, etc. So 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 definitely uh, uh, I, I see a, a lot more also localization and and therefore investment uh, uh, in China uh, in in that field. Uh, third one would be modernization of the Chinese economy. So everything around digitization, automation, as Daryl was 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 putting it, and and still, I think I would add two healthcare. Uh, obviously, maybe not uh, always easy for foreign companies, but definitely uh, something that will emerge uh, uh, a lot stronger than it was uh, before uh, from this uh, from from the last uh, two three years. Uh, and the last one is still the, uh, the uh, electric vehicle or ele electrification value chain. Uh, with, with a particular focus on, on vehicles, with of course very uh, uh, stiff competition from domestic players that are uh, generally ahead, uh, but, but, but still a very valid market. Thank you, Dennis. That's Dennis Tapool, Global Managing Director of Roland Berger, sharing his insights on where things stand on China's economy and also his positive forecast for this year's economic growth of China. Platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is Biz Talk. For now, let's focus on the long-lasting concerns of China-U.S. relations. As the world's two largest economies, tensions between China and the U.S. have largely translated into the rest of the world. At the beginning of the year, can we expect some sort of improvement on China-U.S. relations? 
Citizens Liu Zhaoqing talked with Michael Hart, the president of AmCham China, to get his thoughts on where are the opportunities for China-U.S. relations and cooperation, and also on the opportunities China provides to the world. Take a listen. Thank you for accepting our interview again. The last time we spoke was a year ago. Has there been any change in the economic environment in China and the rest of the world? Yeah. So even、uh, last year, and even in the first couple of weeks of 2023,、um, I had a lot of meetings with a number of、uh, Chinese government entities.、Um, in many cases, it was very clear that they valued、uh, American investment into China.、Uh, they valued FDI, and so they were asking serious questions about、um, how can we help. Uh, what experiences are people having, having etc.?、Uh, a number of groups have hotlines、uh, where foreign companies can can raise those issues, and so、um, you know a number of questions、uh, with Chinese government entities around you know what are those problems? How how can we help?、Um, interesting. The beginning of this year, I met with a number of commerce bureaus and investment promotion bureaus. So I can see that the the strategy for 2023 is to open up and bring back investment to China. Which are the new U.S. companies that have invested in China in 2022? Right. So to be completely honest,、uh, for 2022, it was not a long list of companies that were making new investments, but it was a long list, a consistent list of companies who were saying、uh, the China market is important to us,、uh, and so they were trying to figure out how to deal with the challenges because being in China is so important because Chinese consumers are so important, and so it was really good to see the commitment from the MCM China companies to say. China continues to be important to us, and how do we how do we solve those issues? But 2022 presented a lot of challenges, right? So there were、um, supply chain issues,、uh, lockdowns,、uh, U.S.-China relations weren't great. So all of these things impacted us in ways that we couldn't have expected. So again, although it was a challenging year,、uh, although I can't say there was a long list of companies、uh, making new investments, as I said, a long list of companies who were committed to China.、Um, Who recognized that China was an important part of their market this year and will be for the next five to ten years? How do you see the trend of China encouraging foreign companies to invest more in advanced manufacturing? Right.、Um, so you know, of course, China is in a competitive market, and people are looking at not only China but other markets in Southeast Asia. And the thing that we consistently hear is China is a place unrivaled. There, there's no other place in the world that can do the scale of manufacturing that China can do,、uh, the advanced manufacturing that China can do, that has the supply chain、uh, that China has, and so for manufacturing, for advanced manufacturing, China will continue to be a very important market for a whole host of, of sectors. And so we we definitely talk to companies about that、uh, all year long. What are the opportunities for foreign invested companies? Yeah, so I mean, I've said what a good market、uh, China is. One of the things that、uh, foreign companies, American companies, loved about China predict,、uh, traditionally was the predictability. So the first step was、uh, quarantines went down, and now they've gone away. So that's great news.、Um, we have to keep in mind that reopening China is not as easy as flipping a switch, right? So we, it's still going to be a while for the number of flights to increase. It's still going to be a while to get China on the travel schedule for CEOs. So there's a lot of work、uh, there. You know, one of the things that we point out is that most global CEOs they sit in that seat as CEO for three to four years. That means half of the global CEOs have not been to China while they were CEO. They might have been here earlier in their career, but what we need to do is to make sure they have a chance to get back here and get to see the market. Because once people come and see how big the China market is, they're excited, and that will push for new investment. 
It's also important to remember that new FDI is usually a two to three year cycle. So someone has to get excited about the market. They need to do market research, sign contracts. And so again, it's great that doors are open, um, but it's not gonna be, we opened January 8th and there's new investment by you know, February 1st. It's not gonna happen that fast, but we're on the right track. The US-China relationship, one of the most important bilateral relationships in the world today, is attracting much attention from the world. What do you think is the principle of cooperation between China and the U.S.? So first of all, you're right. The U.S.-China relationship is one of the most important uh, in the world. Um, of course, from our point of view, uh, one of the fundamentals, uh, particularly the consistent parts, is business. So business continues to play an important role in keeping uh, U.S. and China cooperating. Um, we did see some big improvements on the political side uh, towards the end of 2022. So that was, I think, putting a floor under the relationship, uh, allowing us to all you know, step back and sort of say, we need to work together. So that was a good signal. Of course, in late 2022, early 2023, a number of working level meetings uh, to pave the way for additional government to government meetings uh, in 2023. How can the business community in both countries contribute to the healthy and stable development of bilateral relations? You know, one of the things that AmCham China sees is how important the trade relationship is. And because I think both countries see how much their economies depend on each other, the truth is we cannot afford to have conflict. We need to find ways to work together. Uh, and again, AmCham China and U.S. business in general is, is proud to be an important part of maintaining the stability in the relationship because we, we need each other. One of the things I'll say that's critical is people-to-people -people exchanges. And so we're really pleased to see um, with travel starting again, with quarantines going down. Uh, first, we'll get business people coming back. Hopefully, we'll get some global CEOs coming back to look at China for additional investment. Um, but then really quickly, we need to get students coming back. We need to really increase the number of U.S. students here and Chinese students in the U.S. We also need those uh, think tank people going back and forth to communicate. And then hopefully, we can eventually get tourists back by the end of the year. So the people-to-people -people exchanges are really key uh, to make sure that people understand each other uh, and where we can see the opportunities and that we're not generally a threat to each other. How do you see the Chinese market and economy in 2023? Right, so um, you know, for years, uh, one of China's advantages was that China was growing faster than most other economies in the world. The outlook is even if it grows slower than it used to grow, it's still growing at a pretty good pace. And so you know, we do look uh, to China to bounce back in terms of economic growth. That will be an opportunity you know, for, for companies in China, whether they be foreign or domestic, but that will keep uh, foreign companies very interested in China. Um, China is a really important um, uh, engine of growth for the global economy. And right now, as Europe and the US are a little bit more shaky in terms of their economic growth, it's good to see China uh, joining the party again. Thanks for our time. Through our discussion, we find that the COVID infections in China only have a few weeks of strains on its labor force and large cities have already passed the peak of infections. Manufacturing and supply chains in China are totally intact. And everything, including production, labor market, shipping, will be in order right after China's lunar union holiday by the end of January or the beginning of February. Our guests call China's supply chain irresistible and irrefutable. There's no such a thing called chaos. Long-term prospects for China's manufacturing and supply chain are positive, and 2023 is said to be a much better year for China's economy than 2022, projected by China's economists, global observers, and our guests. 
This is a very special edition of Biz Talk. I can't talk. I'm Zhu Junfeng. See you.